It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Let's go! Brought to you by P4P Muscle Productions and Entertainment, the number one drug-free athlete sponsorship foundation in the world. Now, I want you to grab a friend, turn the volume up a bit, lean in, and listen to the show where all the athletes want to talk. Fit Talk with Melinda Corsino. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Fit Talk with Melinda. As always, this show is brought to you by P4P Muscle, the number one drug-free sponsorship in the world. If you're interesting, interested in learning more about them or the drug-free lifestyle, feel free to check them out at www.p4pmuscle.com. You can use my code Melinda, M-E-L-I-N-D-A, for 15% off any products you see there on the website. So, boobs, the topic of tonight. Um, now that I have your attention, who doesn't like boobs? Men love them, women love them, and that's what we're going to be talking about this evening. Uh, but a little more directed than that, we're going to be talking about breast implants and all you need to know. Uh, especially in the bodybuilding industry, breast implants are very popular. But they are also very popular with people in the United States and all over the world. Just looking over some quick facts uh, before I jumped on the show tonight. And again, these are facts that are from a, about five years ago, so... Keep in mind, things have changed a bit, but um, one of the, the number one surgical cosmetic procedure in the United States uh, estimated that over 5 million women in the United States have breast implants, and that number is continuing to increase. So it's a popular surgery um, among women, and who better to talk about them than a plastic surgeon himself? So I have Dr. Rick Silverman on the show tonight. He is a board-certified plastic surgeon, practices in the Boston area since 1992, um, and he's also very involved with the fitness community, more in fact the WMBF and the natural bodybuilding community, so he's a great person to have on to talk not only about breast implants, but um, how they affect when you're working out, how they affect possible judging at a bodybuilding show, etc. So he's here with so many facts, and I'm um, Hopefully have uh, Jamie Pinder and IFBB Pro calling in later on tonight if she can't make it. Uh, we will go on without her and continue the show. So thank you for coming on tonight. And um, would you like to quickly introduce yourself for those who do not know who you are? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Melinda. Uh, I'm Rick Silverman. I uh, have been practicing, as you mentioned, uh, in the Boston and Worcester area since 1992. I did my plastic surgery training in Worcester in the early 90s. And uh, during that time, I met a couple of people um, who were very instrumental in getting me involved with bodybuilding, among them uh, some WMBF uh, personnel, uh, most foremost Nancy Andrews, who's one of the uh, now owners of the WMBF, uh, along with her husband, uh, Jimmy Broderick, who sent me my first gynecomastia patient, which is really how I got involved with bodybuilding initially. Um, and then Anyone who knows Worcester and knows Jay Cutler um, knows that Jay 
comes from that area. And I met him way back in the early nineties as well. And he was another person who influenced me uh, to get involved in competitive bodybuilding. And as a result of that, just the exposure that I've had through competitive bodybuilding uh, has brought me in uh, face to face with a lot of competitors um, who, you know, in terms of women um, who are interested in uh, breast enhancement or other body contouring procedures. And so that's been a mainstay of my practice. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on tonight. And uh, we're going to do a quick 30-minute show and get the facts out there, the very basics for people listening in that are just curious what it's all about. Um, I personally have breast implants, so I can offer my own expertise from just someone who has them. Um, And then clearly uh, Dr. Silverman can offer all from the science side and what he knows from from practicing for so long doing them. So uh, to start off, a lot of people in the bodybuilding industry have a concern that if they do not have implants, um, that they may not look as symmetrical on stage. They may not be judged the same. Uh, someone with implants may get a higher placing because they have larger boobs. And um, so being someone who has judged as well, what are your thoughts on, on that worry? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I, I know a long time ago, um, one of the people who helped me with my diet and whatnot was a, a woman I worked with who was a highly competitive bodybuilder back in long before I even knew what bodybuilding was. Um, and she, she used to be ripped, you know, in the eighties when women weren't ripped for sure. Um, and she was amazing at, at getting prepared. And one of the things that um, she said, you know, sometimes it seemed like the judges would maybe go for the girls with the bigger boobs or this, that, or the other thing. Um, my experience has been that um, breast size specifically alone as a criteria is not something that mm. uh, moves someone up or down on the, in the judging um, lineup, but um, how it impacts symmetry has a, uh, a much more important impact. And sometimes you'll have a woman who may be a little bit pear-shaped or have a sort of a more diminutive shoulders or whatever, and the addition of a breast, uh, breast implants may help her symmetry. Alternatively, if you have someone whose implants are too big, it can throw their symmetry off. So it really comes down to, you know, and, and not just in bodybuilding, but obviously in figure and fit body, you know, and some of the other categories, physique, um, th- th- those, those factors may become even more important. So symmetry is really the key ingredient. And for women who are considering breast augmentation, yeah, it may help your placings if you have some symmetry issues that a little bit more mass in the upper chest area is going to help camouflage that symmetry issue. Um, but other than that, there's not really a big benefit of having them or not having them. All right. Makes perfect sense. And I've, I've talked about that topic on prior shows when we did um, just a show on judging and bodybuilding shows in general. And, and the same answer came out there as well. So it's mm-hmm. good to hear multiple perspectives um, and let women know that you decide to do a bikini show, you decide to do a figure show. It is not necessary for you to have breast implants. And I know women have asked me questions like that before. And it, it's don't feel that because so many people have them that you have to have them too if you want to be competitive in the bodybuilding industry. It's not yeah. necessary. <laughs> well, and I've even um, had patients come in where I, I, I wondered about their motivation. I mean, if you come and they're talking to me, and they're saying, well, my placings are such and such. And so I've been thinking about breast implants. I don't really, I don't really want to do it, but I'd be tempted to tell them not to do it. 
um, because when you when you have this surgery, you're and I've explained this to patients over the years. You're essentially introducing a chronic condition. If you don't have implants, there's nothing there that you have to worry about other than normal breast health for women. Uh, but once you put an implant in, it changes your whole relationship with your breasts, and you are essentially introducing, you know, a foreign body that's going to react to your body. For the most part, women tolerate them very well. They don't have issues with them. But, you know, as I'm sure you experience going through your consultation and surgery, you know, you're warned about different things that can happen. And those things are, are things that you have for the rest of your life. In some cases, things like fibrous capsular contracture or the potential of an infection or a failure of the implant, things like that. You know, without implants, you never have to worry about that. So someone who is, you know, sheepishly considering them and hesitating to go forward, sometimes maybe not doing it is a better option for that person. Right. Absolutely. And uh, something that people have asked me, and when I got my implants, I got them before I even really knew what natural bodybuilding was. I never had a thought in my mind that I was going to compete. So (laughs) I did it for personal reasons where, you know, if I wanted to change something about my body, let's say I wanted bigger biceps or I wanted a, a, you know, better quads or I wanted to dye my hair. Those are things that I can work on at the gym. It's something I can go out to the salon and I can change if I want to. I wasn't unhappy with my body. I didn't hate myself, but I wanted a different look. um, And that is something that I did through implants. I personally have had a great experience with them, but when Pete and I have had no issues whatsoever, when people ask me about them, I always say, and clearly I'm not a doctor, but I always say it's a, it's an, it's a lifetime investment. So if you have an issue, it's going to cost you more money. So don't think you're going to, okay, here's eight grand, here's nine grand. And then I'm done. If you have an issue, it's going to cost you more money. And in return, let's say 15 years down the line, something happens, you have the opportunity to take them out or get them replaced, but that's more anesthesia. That's more surgery costs. That's possible cost of more implants if you're looking to do something different. So it's it's not a one-time-and-done thing. It's something that you have to expect. You could be spending more money on down the line. So if you don't have the money to do it or you are in a tough spot financially, it's probably not the best option for you. Um, but it, But if you know it's always in the back of your head that something could go wrong and you may have to spend more money Then, as long as you know that going in, um, you know, I, I would say go for it. I mean, I, I've had a great experience. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on that as far as women having to put, redo them or, or whatnot? Sure. I mean, uh, I don't know the exact percentage, but I believe it's, you know, something like 30 or 40% of women who get breast implants can anticipate that they're absolutely going to have additional surgery in the future. It's a high number. Um, and that, and there are a number of reasons for that. I mean, obviously if you're getting these things in your, in your twenties, uh, the potential for failure of the implant is there. If it's a saline implant, um, as I always say, you get a flat tire. So you know that you've had a failure of the implant um, if it's a silicone gel implant, and, and the gel implants now are about three-quarters of the market um, at this stage, the silicone gel implants, if you get a failure, you don't necessarily know that it's failed because the, the gel doesn't leak out, it doesn't, the, the implant doesn't change at all. Um, and so with the advent of uh, open use of the gel implants since 2006, um, the recommendation by the FDA was that uh, an MRI is done after the first three years and then every two to three years after that. 
it's important for women who are concerned about it that they should get those MRIs on a regular basis. But I always warn my patients, you know, a lot of times it may be something that's not covered. They might have to pay for it out of their pocket. Um, but implants come with a, a warranty and, and guarantees and whatnot. And so I always say, make sure you check them before that 10-year warranty is up because there may be some money associated with fixing them or exchanging them. Um, after that, you're pretty much on your own. And, and, and you would be responsible for all the costs associated with that. If you go back to your original surgeon, a lot of times they'll work with you to make those costs as minimal as possible. But it's still a few thousand dollars. There's no way to get around it. You get a new implant from the company because they have a lifetime guarantee. But um, the rest of it, there's, there's not much that you can do about it. So the likelihood is you will probably need some surgery at some point. Um, if you're getting the implants prior to childbearing, childbearing will impact what the implant, what your breasts look like. Uh, you may need a lift. You may have other issues with the implants during your, uh, if you're nursing or breastfeeding and whatnot. Um, so it's not a, a, your recommendation to people that they should plan for, you know, make your little rainy day boob fund, <laughs> set that aside. So you always put a little bit yeah. in there um, in case. And there's not a lot a of things that are, <laughs> That's a good idea. There's not a lot of things that are really an emergency other than something like an infection would be an emergency. Um, even a deflation um, where the implant, you know, with a saline implant where the saline leaks out, you don't have to fix it immediately. It can be a little uncomfortable if the implant's deflated and you obviously have that asymmetry. You have to, you know, put a little, you know, chicken fillet or some Kleenex in, inside your bra to make sure things look pretty even. But um, you know, once you get it done, you have to do it at some point. You can't really walk around with one implant full and one implant em empty. So that's sort of a, a relatively more urgent thing as opposed to, um, you know, needing a breast lift or something like that after childbearing, which you can really do at your leisure. Right. A lot of um, people have the question regarding breastfeeding with implants, Um I, I know that you can breastfeed with implants, but are there any dangers associated with that? Yeah, there, there, there isn't really. I mean, the implants, um, you know, implants can be placed either above the pectoralis muscle or below the pectoralis muscle. Um, in my bodybuilding patients, I generally put them below the muscle because a lot of times bodybuilding women don't have much breast tissue to cover the implants. Additionally, my experience as a breast implant surgeon grew out of that period when we couldn't use silicone gel implants, um, and saline implants don't do as well over the muscle. The potential for visible rippling is greater, and some of the other things that we don't like to see with the saline implants over the muscle make that, make that a less desirable option. But, you know, once those implants are in place, they're under the breast tissue or they're under the muscle they're really away from where the breast tissue is, and so it doesn't impact um, breast milk in any way. So it's safe to, okay. to use them. Now, that said, um, as far as breastfeeding goes, some women may find difficulty breastfeeding, um, but they may also find difficulty breastfeeding without implants. So, you know, that, that's something that is a, a little bit more unpredictable. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, what are do you do many surgeries now over the muscle? I I know um, that was more popular a while ago. Um, and also added on to that question, so there's over and under, um, and also incisions. The different places that you can choose to get incisions. Um, sure. Go ahead. So I'll start with the incisions. 
Um, the most common incisions I use, the most common one I use is the one that's under the breast. Um, and one of the reasons I like that incision, it's a four centimeter incision, so a little under two inches. It's pretty short. It usually ends up right in the fold or just on the underside of the breast. And the beauty of it is that it puts me right where I need to be from a work perspective. So um, in the event that you have to go back and address the implant in some way, either to exchange it or if you develop something like capsular contracture and we have to go and release that capsule a little bit, um, I'm actually able to do that sometimes even with local anesthesia in the office to save the expense of dealing with it. Um, the, other, the, uh, the next incision that I use uh, with frequency is the, the periorealer incision or the, the incision on the edge of the nipple. Um, in order to do that one, though, uh, it oftentimes would be someone who's already had kids because the areola has to be large enough to make the incision large enough. Um, sometimes that's being done in conjunction with a breast lift, um, and with a lift, you invariably have to make an incision around the nipple. So that's why I like that incision. The third common incision is the armpit incision or axillary incision. And that one I don't use at all. And there's a simple reason for that. Because um, it's the same incision that we would use to put in a male pec implant. So it's not an incision I'm uncomfortable with or don't know how to use. But um, when I was first practicing, uh, one of my colleagues here in Boston had presented four groups of women that weren't good candidates for transaxillary breast augmentation. And one of them was bodybuilding women. And the reason is it's harder to address the pectoralis connections at the low end of the, near the inframammary fold and the implants have a tendency to ride high. So, you know, hearing that at the beginning of my practice was like, okay, I don't need to <laughs> worry about doing this option. And the other side of that is more of my patients go sleeveless than topless. So, an incision that would be a, a bad-looking scar in the armpit would be more problematic than a bad-looking scar on the underside of the breast. So those are the three incision options. And then as far as placement of the implant under versus over the muscle, when I first started doing breast implants, I contacted another surgeon mm -hmm. who I knew was doing a lot of taking care of a lot of bodybuilders, and I asked him what he was doing. And at the time, he was using a submuscular position, and he commented on this issue with the rippling and the visible rippling and said that that was the best reason to do that. And we only had saline implants, so that was, that was a factor. So I mostly did mine under the muscle. I've had an occasional patient who felt uh, concern about putting it under the muscle, either related to their bodybuilding activities or for some other reason. Um, and so in a few patients, I put them over to the muscle, but what I found um, more in dealing with other patients who had their implants over the muscle, the thing you run into in bodybuilding women is because there's not a lot of breast tissue and because of the chronic dieting, the, thin, the skin thins and things like that, uh, you run into that rock and the, the rock and the sock look like in the granny grenade boob lady in the cartoons, if you've yeah. ever seen those cartoons. Yeah. And um, it's not an attractive look. So that also has kind of compelled me away from the um, going under the going over the muscle. Um, I, there's certainly patients where it works great, um, and I and I have a few patients where I've gone over the muscle for anatomic reasons for a, or some other reason, but for the most part I stay under the muscle. Another important thing for women to understand, though, when you put an implant under the muscle, when you flex your pectoralis muscle, it changes the shape of your breast. There's nothing wrong with that, and people aren't gonna notice it necessarily, but I sometimes am contacted by women 
who had their implants put under the muscle and their surgeons didn't tell them about this motion thing. And it can be very disconcerting depending on what the motion does. And sometimes in surgeons who aren't really paying attention to the fact, okay, this is a bodybuilding woman, she's a big full pectoralis muscle, she's very muscular, if they don't release the muscle the same way on both sides, you can run into a situation where one goes up, one goes down when they flex the muscle or they look funny. So I try to be very conscientious about how I release the muscle um, and doing it exactly the same side to side. And that problem tends to not be a problem in my practice. But that is something that, you know, you kind of have to um, pay attention to as a, as a woman who's seeking out the care for the, the surgery. Yeah, uh, that's that's a good point. And I, I had mine before I even started bodybuilding, but I know exactly what right. you're talking about. And thankfully, the surgeon who did mine, um, also in the Boston area, uh, it's not an issue for me. So um, that's right. a good thing. And also, I and now I've I've moved a bit away from bodybuilding for the meantime. Doesn't mean I'm not going to go back. I've, I had a great experience with the WMBF, but I'm now. Mm-hmm. Uh, nationally qualified powerlifter and also doing CrossFit. I would say semi-competitively. I'm not, you know, a regional athlete or anything, but I'm at CrossFit five days a week. And I'm powerlifting. So within especially powerlifting, I am benching. I am heavy benching. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. For me, I have not – I know some concern for women is the breast kind of migrating outwards, um, especially Mm -hmm. with heavy lifting. Sometimes, you know, you have this – some women will – get this very large gap between their boobs. Um, right. I, that can be a concern for, for me specifically, and I am heavy benching. I have not had that issue, thankfully, and I'm, a, I would say, more of a muscular body. I'm a muscular girl um, compared to some. So, thankfully, that has not been a problem that I have come in contact with. But what is your recommendation for women as far as, like, um, especially chest exercises after surgery? Mm-hmm. Sure. So I uh, am always shocked when I get contacted by a woman who underwent breast surgery, you know, breast augmentation surgery in the past year, year and a half. And they'll say, I ran across your discussion of uh, working out with implants. And my surgeon told me I should never do any chest training again. And I think to myself, if I were a bodybuilder and my surgeon told me that I could never train my chest again, I'd go to a different surgeon. I mean, you know, and granted, a lot of women who get breast implants, they, they, you know, you're powerlifting, so you have to train heavy. But, you know, if you're doing figure or, you know, physique or some other, you know, bikini potentially, you may not feel like you have to train your chest as much because you're not looking for striations to show up when you're doing a side chest. You know, you're looking right. for to look as good as you can. Um, but I would, you know, I, I still know most of my patients like to bench press. They like to train chest. A lot of women love training chest. Um, so my recommendation has been um, that they can resume their chest training after six weeks. Um, I, but, and I explained to them that it really takes about six weeks for the capsule to form around the implant so that it doesn't go migrating anywhere. Now, when I explain that, one of the things that's different about the way I do the surgery um, is I use a sizer. I use a temporary implant to create my pocket. And when I do that, I minimize how much dissection I do laterally toward the armpit. And, I, and we, you know, we were talking earlier, I know who your surgeon is. He does that, too, because of my conversations with him in the past to some extent. 
um, and because oh, we good. learned in the same institution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so what happens, some surgeons create a very large pocket, and then they put the implant in and allow your body to heal down around it. I create a pocket that's just a little bit bigger than what the actual implant is. And so, yeah, your body does heal down a little bit, but the implant's not going to have this old space that it could migrate out into as you're doing bench presses, pushing that implant more and more laterally because of the way the muscle is connected. Um, So I have had patients where that lateral pocket has stretched a little bit, um, but none that I've had to go back and actually suture or create a new pocket. Um, Whereas when I see patients who've had their implants done elsewhere, I have had to do that sometimes where I either make a new pocket or I put a bunch of stitches on the side to try to keep the implant more medialized, more centralized. Um, So as far as training goes, I don't have a problem with patients training. You do want to let the, you know, the chest heal before you start getting too heavy. Um, But over the long term, there is some slight risk that the, that the implant could lateralize a little depending in part on how that pocket was created initially. Makes sense. I'm, I'm happy. I have noticed, and I was very worried because when I was doing bikini shows, I was not doing a lot of chest. I never really did in the past. And then when I started doing CrossFit and then the powerlifting, I had to. I had no choice, and I was very sure. nervous because um, I was like I spent so much money <laughs> on what I had done. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I want to – probably going to have to spend money in the future, but I don't want to do that right now. And I was very nervous about how they were going to look when I was heavy benching. And I, I have not noticed one bit of difference um, since I started training chest heavy. So I'm personally very happy with that result. Um, as as sure. well, uh, another topic related to training is a lot of people, especially very active people who are lifting or training for bodybuilding shows or just athletics in general, are very nervous about when to get them done because you have to take off a a period of time from certain activities. And it's obviously going to halt your training in the meantime. So what are your, uh, you know, you just said the six weeks for chest training. What are your recommendations as far as, you know, light cardio or or just moving around after getting the surgery? Sure. I'm very specific with my patients about what they can do and when they can do it. And the reason I do that, you're a bodybuilder, I'm a bodybuilder. We know how bodybuilders are. You're going to start working out as soon as you think you're allowed to. And if you go to someone who doesn't tell you anything specific, heck, you might start working out a couple days after your surgery for all you know. And I've had patients who come and tell me, yeah, I went and played tennis after, you know, they had their, sur- their implants done a long time ago. I went and played sur- tennis the next day or I did this. Da, da, da. I let my pa- I'm pretty aggressive with how I rehab my patients post-op. And generally speaking, I tell them, take the first week off. You can be up walking. You can go, you know, you can walk to your heart's content. But you don't want to do anything that you're getting your heart rate or blood pressure up for that first week you're not going to lose anything. You've had a big operation. Your body needs to be utilizing your nutrition to recover the surgical site. You know, you don't need to be fighting for nutrients to go to your muscle to help recover from your workout as opposed to recovering from surgery. So that first week is, you know, just lay low. At the end of that week, I let you start doing cardio. And, you know, initially patients do the cardio just to get their wind back. Um, and you know what you find, and you may remember, you know, the first time you get on a treadmill or an elliptical or something, you go 10, 12 minutes and you're ready to turn and throw in the towel. And you think to yourself, my God, what did I do? And that's partly just from 
having had an anesthetic, being out of commission for a few days or a week, narcotics, everything that goes into the, that initial surgery and initial recovery. But after that first week, you get your wind back up, and, and, and by the end of the second week, I let patients start doing resistance training. Um, a lot of it is range of motion with some light resistance, um, and they won't do direct chest exercises. But I let them do back. I let them do shoulders. I let them really do anything. But I'll kind of describe things like don't do overhead exercises, you know, do low rows, lateral raises, things like that that aren't going to impact your chest so much. And anything that hurts, don't do it. Um, we live by the no pain, no gain philosophy, but when you're post-op, you don't want things to hurt. And, and we know good pain and bad pain, and the bad pain is what you're trying to avoid. Um, by the third or fourth week, you know, a lot of my patients are doing a, you know, most of their routine and their workout, but I hold off on chest specifically to let that capsule form. And we know it takes about six weeks for that to have happen. So after six weeks, I let them incorporate direct chest and that can be bench press, pec deck, things like that. Um, and following that, I've really never had a patient run into a problem. Um, of my patients that um, I, you know, I used to keep track of this. I don't really so much anymore. But my patients who are avid bench pressers and are avid bodybuilders and want to continue to see gains, I've never had anyone um, not be able to continue you know, where they left off as far as chest strength and continue to make progress in their gains um, after breast augmentation. So it doesn't seem to hinder um, ongoing development, um, you know, in someone who's motivated. Yeah, and uh, coming from a personal standpoint, and again, I was not bodybuilding at the time I had them done, but I have always been conscious of my weight, a healthy eater, someone who worked out. Um, You know, you're not going to – from a female standpoint, a bikini, a figure standpoint, you are not, if you keep your nutrition on point after your surgery, you are not going to gain weight. You are not going to lose what you've worked for. I mean, I was, um, the first couple days are are rough. Um, You know, you don't really have use of your abs, so to speak. So, (laughs) you know, when you're laying down, you know, you don't realize how connected things are until you can't use them. So, you know, getting off a couch when you're laying back or getting out of bed to pee in the middle of the night or just trying to get <laughs> up from a laying position. I mean, thankfully I lived with someone that could help me. So, um, but the first few days can be rough. It, it, it hurts, but if you can deal with pain on a, on a decent level, I mean, it's not, it's not terrible. I took myself off painkillers the first day cause they made me nauseous and you can't throw up because you can't flex your abs. <laughs> it hurts. hurts. So yeah. you don't want to be nauseous. So I, I mean, it's, First couple of days are rough. I mean, I took some time off work, and um, but I was back. I, I remember putting headphones on and saying, "Screw it, I'm just going to walk around my apartment complex." So I walked a couple of miles a day, just walking to you know keep mm-hmm. moving. And I think the first cardio I did was on the elliptical machine because I wasn't bouncing, so I was just using my feet to move on the elliptical, right. and and that was pretty easy. And I wasn't a heavy lifter at the time, so I wasn't really worried about getting back to the gym and, and lifting weights, but it was not that bad and it didn't take, I, I lost weight during surgery <laughs> because I was, mm-hmm. you know, you can get nauseous, don't want to eat at painkillers and how everything hits you. So don't let that be a reason if you're really interested in doing it to not do it, you know, plan yeah. your shows accordingly, knowing what you're doing. And it, it's, it's not that bad. From right. Female, and as far as doing a, a show, point. yeah, from doing, as far as doing a show and whatnot, 
you know, different procedures, different patients I'll advise with regard to when they can think about doing a show. So somebody who is competing in bodybuilding or fit body or physique, um, and even figure uh, nowadays, because the figure competitors come in leaner sometimes. They sometimes are a little more muscular. It depends on the organization, obviously. Um, but with with those things, I tell people four to six months because you're going to not be able to really work out properly for six to eight weeks until you're kind of back to your regular routine. And unless you're optimal and ready to get on stage after a diet, you know, most of us aren't quite ready. So you want a little bit more time to build before you start your diet. So I, that's why I tend to say four to six months. Bikini can be a little bit different because it's not quite as intense in terms of the dieting and the muscle growth side of it. Um, but even that, I, you know, I still would be careful as far as trying to squeeze something in too quick. Um, because, you know, you want to be comfortable, you want to look your best, you don't want to come in looking funny um, because you're not back to your normal training regimen. Um, with men, I, you know, invariably, you know, with the gynecomastia procedure, I tell them six months because there are issues with swelling and things like that, that, that you're not going to have so much after breast surgery because it's covered in part, whereas, you know, a man's chest is not covered. So if there's a swelling issue there, that's going to play in, you know, in the, in the fine the fine details of a, a bodybuilding competition. So, And I think, you know, the last point before we wrap things up is the general cost of breast implants. And, um, again, coming from someone who's not a doctor, when someone asked me my advice and what I have done, I did not in any way try to seek out someone who was charging the least amount of money I wasn't trying to get a deal. It's something, it's, it's a major surgery that you're having on your body, and it's something that you're going to have, hopefully, last a very long time. And it, it's not something that you want to go cheap on, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. But what, in, in, as of right now, a general cost with all included, what, what's it looking? Because I had mine a long time ago, so I don't know what the going rate for these surgeries are right now. Right. In, in my practice right now, it's, we, we've had some issues with, our, we're, with where we're operating, so the price is a little bit variable, but it's between 7500 and 9000 depending on if you're going with gel versus saline. Saline implants are about $1,000 less than the gel implant. Uh, for us, for a pair of saline implants, the charge is about 1300 and for gel is about $2,300. Um, so, and so you just hear that number alone and you realize, okay, the implants alone are $2,300, you know, I mean, it depends, you know, sometimes you get better deals and stuff like that, but, uh, but, you know, obviously the surgery is not going to be, you know, under $5,000 if your implants are $2,300. But, you know, generally speaking in this area, eight to 10,000 is probably a reasonable number. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I know people who say, you know, you go to New York and you spend $20,000. I don't know what they're paying for. Um, and by the same token, every now and again, you know, you used to see things, breast implants, twenty nine ninety five, And, and as you pointed out, you don't want to go for the cheapest, best deal out there. You want to find someone who is mainstream and most of the people are going to be within that range in this area, in the Boston area. Right. Okay. So the price hasn't, uh, that's around, I paid right in the middle of that. So, that, um, or on the lower end of that, cause I have saline nutshells. And so the, it hasn't raised that much. Um, no, and, you know, so we haven't really raised our, <laughs> yeah, we haven't raised our fee in years on the surgeon's fee. 
the the other the the fee changes because the hospital fee or the anesthesia fee has changed, um, but we've kept our fee at least the last six or seven years hasn't changed. So, right as far as that goes. Right. Yeah. Well, um, is there anything that you think that should be added? I know we did a quick show and we could probably talk for another hour on everything. Um, <laughs> But do you think there's anything that I didn't bring up that's a, a basic that you should need to know if you're interested in having the surgery? I, I mean, I think you've covered most of the really uh, most important aspects. I think uh, number one thing is that women should do this because it's something they want to do. You know, it shouldn't be something that a boyfriend or a husband is talking them into. It shouldn't be something that they feel pressured by the bodybuilding community or by their girlfriends or something like that. Because as we've said, you're introducing this chronic condition. You're going to be taking on future, potentially future charge, you know, future fees to kind of maintain what you have. So um, the motivation really needs to be there. And of course, women, you know, are motivated. They, you know, they see images of other women with, with breast implants and with, who look great. And, and so that's motivation enough, but um, no one should feel that they're pressured to do that in order to win a bodybuilding contest. It really should be an internal drive of something that they want to do for themselves. Um, and that's the best, that's going to always be the best approach. Absolutely. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to have us chat. I'm, I'm sad that uh, Jamie couldn't call in tonight. I hope everything's okay. I'm sure that I will have her on on a future show because um, I would like to get another female's perspective from someone that does have them. She's a, a IFBB Pro Physique competitor, so she is a little bit different than what I do. Um, so hopefully she can call in at another time when we do a follow-up show with some more information on her her thoughts on it. But thank you very much for, again, taking the time out of your day and, and providing this information. And um, his, uh, Rick Silverman, Dr. Rick Silverman's information is on my post. I'm going to post that again tonight if anyone's interested in in further information. They're welcome to contact him. His website is on there. Great. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. So, again, everyone have a good night, and uh, next show will be up in a couple of weeks. Um, we are going to transfer into the CrossFit world in the beginning of March because the opens, the dreaded opens, are coming. So uh, stay tuned for more posts on that. And, again, thank you for coming on tonight, and everyone have a great night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.